0: The church is in Africa at the service of reconciliation, peace and justice. The church is in Africa at the
1: service of reconciliation.
2: This is the Africa Service of Vatican Radio.
0: Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa.
1: Stay tuned for our bulletin of church news, which will be followed by Panorama. And then our features echo of the African Synod and the Millennium Appointment. I am Johnny Baptist, Thomas Cime. The Holy See Press Office issued a communique on Monday saying Pope Francis' appointments on Monday had been suspended for precautionary measures because the Holy Father was still suffering from persistent flu symptoms. On Saturday, the Pope cancelled his meeting with the transitional deacons of the Diocese of Rome who will be ordained to the priesthood in April this year due to a mild flu. Meanwhile, the Holy Father has accepted the resignation of the Archbishop of the Polish Archdiocese of Shishkeni Kamen, His Grace Andrzej Jeunga, who had been accused of ignoring sexual abuse cases. The Archbishop published a two-page resignation later on Saturday in which he apologized to priests for his incomplete understanding of specific circumstances stating that he was resigning due to a radical weakening of his authority. Polish media pointed out that the archbishop knew about abuse allegations against one of his priests, Father Andrzej Dimeli, as early as 1995, but took no action. The priest was convicted by a church tribunal in 2008 of sexually abusing minors. He appealed but died in 2021 before the appeal was resolved. Catholic bishops in Malawi have issued a pastoral letter pointing out government failures in addressing pressing national problems. Carrying the title The Sad Story of Malawi, the letter notes that the leadership of President Lazarus Chakwera has failed. The bishops accuse the administration of multiple failures which include unfulfilled campaign promises, nepotism, tribalism and rampant corruption. They note also that the government has failed to raise people's incomes even after the purchasing power of the local currency has drastically lost value. The bishops say they have tried several times to meet a dialogue with the president but without success. The letter was read in all Catholic parishes in Malawi on Sunday after the celebration of Holy Mass. Reports from Burkina Faso say 15 people were killed in an attack on a church on Sunday during the celebration of Holy Mass in the village of Esakane in the northeastern part of the country near the border with Mali. The attack was confirmed in a statement by Father Jean-Pierre Sawadogo, the vicar-general of the Catholic Diocese of Dori, under whose jurisdiction Isakane is falls. According to reports, the attack was carried out by Islamic militants. More than a third of Burkina Faso is currently under the control of Islamic insurgents linked to Al-Qaeda and Islamic State terrorist groups, which have taken over large parts of the country in the north and displaced millions of people. Government has been fighting them for years without success. The militants have been targeting villages and churches since they started fighting the government. A week ago, the Catholic bishops of Burkina Faso issued a statement expressing concern about persistent insecurity in the country. The bishop of the Catholic Diocese of Pemba in Mozambique, the Right Reverend Antonio Julius Ferreira Sandramo, has told reporters that thousands of people have fled the area to escape attacks by Islamic militants of Al-Shabaab. The militants have been fighting government in Cape Rigado province in which the diocese is found since 2017. Bishop San Ramo said the militants have killed people by beheading them. They have burnt villages and also destroyed churches. He said those who are fleeing are seeking refuge in the neighboring province of Nampula. The bishop has asked priests and other pastoral agents in the affected areas to accompany the fleeing populations and respond to their pastoral needs. The Bishop of the Catholic Diocese of Kasese in Uganda, the Right Reverend Francis Ichibira, has appealed to the faithful and to the public at large to conserve the environment by planting trees. Speaking last Wednesday from Kasese, Bishop Chibira said the world is experiencing global warming, which has affected the climate, leading to extreme weather conditions such as long droughts and heavy rainfall, which has caused floods and landslides, which have killed many people, and also affected food production and other activities. Quoting Pope Francis' encyclical Laudato Si, also known in English as On Our Common Home, Bishop Chibira said planting trees reduces the impact of global warming. He advised the people of Kassese not to destroy the environment further by recklessly cutting down trees and by encroaching on wetlands. A Catholic development agency, Harambe Africa International, based in the Italian capital Rome, is inviting storytellers in Africa to participate in the 10th edition of Conveying Africa Contest, which seeks to communicate the challenges, hopes, richness, and diversity of the African continent. Africa is always represented in the media in negative terms, especially as a continent of diseases, conflicts, wars, and hunger. But according to Rosella Miranda, the communications office of Harambe Africa International, the aim of the contest is to contribute to a more real image of Africa and to promote knowledge of a continent that is a treasure for all. The winner will receive a reward of 1,000 euros. Those interested must submit their entries by June 30th this year. You are tuned to the English-Africa service of Vatican Radio. <laughs>
0: African News Panorama
2: The streets of Guinea's capital Conakry were empty on Monday as workers including miners began a nationwide strike for higher wages and other demands. The Guinean Trade Union Movement, an umbrella group for multiple workers' unions, announced the general strike in a statement last week saying it will be indefinite and will include the public, private and informal sectors. Its demands include the release of the jailed secretary-general of the Union of Journalists of Guinea, the lowering of food prices, the lifting of internet restrictions and the application of a wage deal reached with the Junta-led government in November. Staying in Guinea, the West African regional grouping ECOA said on Sunday it was lifting sanctions it imposed on the country, a day after making a similar decision on Niger, which is also ruled by a military junta. The organization had imposed sanctions on Niger, Guinea, Mali and Burkina Faso and suspended them because of military coups in their countries between 2020 and last year. The decision to lift the sanctions was taken at an extraordinary summit of the ECOWAS heads of state in Abuja, Nigeria. Mauritius has denied a Norwegian cruise ship permission to dock at the capital, Port Louis, over fears of a potential cholera outbreak on board. According to a BBC report, at least 15 people on the ship, known as the Norwegian Don, have been in isolation over suspected illness. The passengers developed mild symptoms of a stomach illness during a trip to South Africa, a representative of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, said... The authorities in Mauritius said the decision to block the ship was taken in order to avoid any health risks. In the past 12 months, at least 188,000 people have been infected with cholera across seven countries in Southern Africa, according to the UN. More than 3,000 of those have died. South Africa has reported a little over 1,000 cholera cases and at least 47 deaths over the past two years, according to the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And Namibian President Hake Gengob was laid to rest in the country's Heroes Acre Cemetery on Sunday following a state funeral attended by several African leaders and foreign dignitaries. Mr. Gengob died earlier this month at the age of 82 while receiving treatment for cancer at a hospital in the capital, Wintook. You're tuned to the Africa Service of Vatican Radio. (laughs)
0: African Synod, the Church Alive in Africa Today.
2: Hello and welcome to the program. I am Festus Tarawali. In this edition, you can hear Sheila Purish's extended interview with Bishop Noel Rucastle of Old Swan Diocese in South Africa. The bishop spoke to her on the sidelines of the just-ended annual general meeting of the Southern African Catholic Council for Laity.
3: I'm Bishop Noel Brucastle from the Diocese of Oudtshoorn. I'm the liaison bishop as part of the Marriage and Family Life Apostolate and I represent on the Council of Laity and at the bishop's conference, the SACBC, I represent the Marriage and Family Life group. That is my portfolio that I have at currently, yes.
0: So, Bishop Noel, thank you so much for talking to us right here on Vatican News. I'm just going to ask you to quickly describe for us uh, this AGM. I know you've already started. What have you highlighted so far? And what are the key points or the priorities uh, of this AGM?
3: Well, I think it's important for us to go back to last year, 2023, where after a, a lot of to and froing we finally agreed on the constitution for the laity council and that is where our primary focus has been last night by means of introductory remarks and today we will focus more specifically on the various dioceses and to how they've implemented the constitution and of course the way forward in terms of the constitution and which i'll be presenting today is to highlight what i would call the three c's so the first being commitment. Commitment to undertake this because the laity council serves as a conduit. It's a go between, between the respective dioceses that constitute our conference and of course the bishops that are then the head of those dioceses at the conference level. So it's disseminating information. It is what we discuss here, bringing to the attention of the bishops. The bishops, what they discuss at the plenary, to bring to the attention of the laity council. So it's this constant to and fro that we are trying to promote, that communication, open communication. And so I say the three Cs because it is about commitment. And yes, I, together with that, I, I would um, label it as being effective communication. Then there is also collaboration, which is so very important that we, as bishops, work together with the laity, that the laity work together with us, and clergy, in total, working with the laity, the laity working with the clergy. It's Pope Francis, and I bring it to that third C, that reminds us of co-responsibility. And I think that's what we are trying to promote by means of this laity council. A reminder that we, as clergy, and that the laity, together, we build the church, we are the church, and we make the church effective. And we both have a responsibility for evangelization, bringing the good news to the world. Very often, and I know myself growing up, there was always the case of, we'll go to Father for the answer. And I've often heard many times, even as a parish priest when I was younger, having many parents say when they would come to Mass, or even before or after, and say, Father, my son asked this question and we said, don't worry, wait until Sunday and we'll ask Father the answer. And it's something that we often still hear. And I think it's for us very important moving forward that co-responsibility, parents teaching their children, the clergy, along with the parents, that formation is essential. A responsibility to promote the faith, a responsibility to educate and catechize, and a responsibility That we know our faith so that we don't have to wait for Father or Bishop to give us the answer. We already are taking that initiative to get to know our faith completely.
0: So, you said you're the liaison bishop for family, marriage, marriage, and family life. Marriage and family life, I beg your pardon. So, talking about that, I see on the agenda you're also going to highlight child headed families let's talk about the challenges that the clergy faces in relation to family. You've already mentioned a couple of things that do happen and how co-responsibility is needed, and that's, of course, uh, being a synodal church. So let's talk about some of these challenges that family face today here in Southern Africa, South Africa, Botswana, Swatini, and how you think the church, as a church, clergy, religious, Laity, how we can overcome these
3: obstacles. And to begin by saying the obstacles are many, at times almost seeming insurmountable. And I think, this is why I say, being a, being a bishop appointed by Pope Francis, my go-to place is every time to see where the pontiff leads us in this. And so that beautiful encyclical Amoris Laetitia tells us and gives us guidance as to how we are to do it we are to start first and foremost with that word, with that phrase, co-responsibility, and walking together. And I think linked with that is another word that Pope Francis often um, highlights, is accompaniment. How do we accompany each other? And that's pretty much what your question is asking. Families, how they are battling in this day and age, especially being post-COVID, As to the way forward, we know there's economic crises. We know there are wars. there. We know there are so many things. And just yesterday, I discovered, being a chocolate lover, the price of cocoa is rising. So I'm just bringing that in to say, just when we think we are top of things, new things come our way. But to get back to the families, very important. The challenges that they face are, in our country, and I guess that's where our primary focus should be, in the southern African region – We have violence, we have gender-based violence, we have crime escalating. I happened to hear on the news uh, yesterday where the premier of the Western Cape was saying "We we, we seem to be winning the battle, and then there was the news broadcast saying it is on the rise, violence and crime. So, you know, we're trying all the time to battle. So how does the church accompany? I think it's essential for us to go back to basics. And recognize that as priests, deacons, bishops, we all come from families. And to bring our personal experience and a recognition that we don't stand above, but we stand next to. And that accompaniment in recognizing that people do have hardships, that families are struggling. And it's about creating that awareness within ourselves, going back to our own roots and saying, what was it like growing up in my home? How did my parents deal with those struggles when it came to financial difficulties, when it came to having to battle life? Did they share it with us or did they go to the bedroom and discuss it? Did they say to us, you know, you need to be vigilant, you need to hear and be focused on what's happening in the world? And so that co-responsibility, that accompaniment is how we essentially as clergy can assist families. We also know that families at this time are broken. And I often remark in the diocese, especially now just having done our clergy conference, I said how very important it is for us to build that nuclear family because it is the foundation of society. And if it's broken... Society is broken. And when society is broken, we've got to go back to what we initially had. And so families, for me, are so very important. Upholding the dignity of a family, encouraging family members to stay together, counseling, providing all those opportunities to accompany, as Pope Francis says in Amoris Letitia, whether it be families who have gone through divorce, separation, the children of those who are affected by it, single-parent families, Parents who have now, I mean, currently going through many difficulties, we have to reach out to them, and that's why I say this conduit of the laity council is how we bring that about, walking together, accompanying, and recognizing we are all in this together, and we have to be.
0: And my last question was going to be about the synod on synodality, which you've been highlighting throughout this conversation <laughs> in different ways, but... Really, lastly, your words about this phase that we are living as a Catholic Church, the Synod on Synodality.
3: One of my slides during my presentation this morning is of a big ear, because that is what it's about. You know, I I said, Sheila, talking about awareness. If I'm not listening and keeping my ear close to the ground, how can I possibly know what's going on? I cannot have lofty ideals. I must be grounded. I cannot pretend that it's not happening when it is. So this beautiful experience that we as church are going through now, a reminder that we are to listen, like we have in the Bible, the call of Samuel, the call of many. We all are experiencing that call, the call to walk together, to proclaim the good news together, to live the good news together. And so it is about support, it is about collaboration, and it ultimately is about communication.
2: That was Bishop Noel Rucasul of Old Swan Diocese in South Africa speaking there to Sheila Purish. And that's all for this edition of the African Synod, The Church Alive in Africa Today. Till the same time next week, I am Festus Tarawali.
1: And now our feature Millennium Appointment. <music> As you heard on this program, the African Union Assembly of States adopted a resolution on February 22nd during the 37th Summit of Heads of State and the Government to eradicate statelessness and advance inclusion for millions of stateless people on the African continent. A stateless person, according to international law, is someone who is not considered as a citizen by any state in the world. That means the person does not belong to any country. Stateless people face many challenges. They have no legal protection and consequently the host states do not provide them with official documents such as identity cards and passports. As a result, they become vulnerable to all forms of discrimination and injustices, including being denied access to education, employment, health care, property rights, as well as registration of birth and marriage. In some cases, their movement is restricted. In some countries, statelessness is passed on from parents to their children, leading to one generation after another being trapped in a cycle of poverty. And marginalization. There are many causes of statelessness. These include discrimination on grounds of ethnicity, race, gender, and religion. Some African countries, for example, have nationality laws that deprive women the right to convey their nationality to their children. In such a case, when a woman bears a child from a foreign national who, for one reason or another, is not able to pass on citizenship to the child, that child remains stateless and may pass on statelessness to his or her offspring. Similarly, gaps in birth registrations often leave some children stateless. Added to this is state succession. At independence, when new states were created after the departure of colonialism, the newly independent African states defined who was a citizen and ethnic groups which did not meet the requirements were prevented from acquiring nationality, leaving them stateless. Administrative, bureaucratic and practical problems also can cause statelessness when individuals who do otherwise qualify to be citizens are unable to follow procedures and carry out the necessary steps to acquire nationality. Similarly, to become a citizen of a country there is a need for evidence of vital information, such as a place of birth and kinship that establish the relevant links to a state and demonstrate entitlement to a nationality. However, this information is often unavailable when birth registration is lacking. Up to now, many African countries have not put in place a reliable system of birth registration, and others have no laws by which stateless persons can become naturalized citizens. Today, there is also a trend in some African countries to denationalize certain ethnic groups for selfish reasons, especially if they have a political inclination to a political part of the opposition, and because during the creation of the boundaries, the group was divided into two with the majority members belonging to a neighboring country. Examples here include the Kinyarwanda-speaking communities in the Democratic Republic of Congo and Uganda, who continue to be denied citizenship, on grounds that they are Banyarwanda. The United Nations High Commission for Refugees, the UNHCR, has expressed gratitude to the African Union for adopting the resolution to eradicate statelessness on the African continent and include millions of people who have no country to call home. The resolution seeks to remove legal barriers and ensure that stateless people and those at risk of becoming stateless can exercise their rights and have better access to legal and other services such as health, education and the right to work. It also seeks to prevent the passing on of statelessness from one generation to another and provides mechanisms for recognizing and protecting the right to citizenship of nomadic people and of individuals living close to the borders between two countries, also known as cross-border populations. Following its adoption, the resolution now needs to be ratified by 15 African Union member states, after which it will come into force. The United Nations High Commission for Refugees has expressed its readiness to work with the African states on the ratification and implementation of the resolution so that millions of vulnerable people who can access basic human rights and services can improve their lives and contribute meaningfully to the development of their societies. There are about 1 million stateless people in West Africa alone, over 5 million others in Eastern and Central Africa, and about 1 million in Southern Africa. And with that, we come to the end of this week's edition of Millennium Appointment. You have been listening to the English-Africa service of Vatican Radio, and I am Johnny Baptist Tomosime. In our next program at this same time tomorrow, you can hear our feature, Justice and Peace. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laudetur Jesus Christus. <music>